Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, girlfriendit.com, and the movement, girlfriendit, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on toginet.com. What do you need to do to simplify your life? Well, you know, I find that when I eliminate excess and I declutter, it makes a world of difference. (laughs) Well, of course, you make it sound so simple. And it's funny, you and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, You just think, yeah, go and declutter, but yet it's so complicated to do that because you you actually need an outside person or, or something that can help you to declutter and simplify because we just, I don't know, maybe we're all hoarders or you just want to hold on to things, but it's, it's not that simple. Well, and you know, decluttering is not only, it's the physical things in your life, but it's also like time commitments or, you know, just emotional stuff that you need to kind of declutter and sort out from your life. Okay. But before we get too complicated, um, we, we want to remind you, you're listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, today we have two very interesting guests um, joining us on the show. Both are authors, and they also both tap into our emotions. Our first guest, Dr. Michelle Bankson, is an author, speaker, and clinical neuropsychologist. The area she speaks about most is the growing epidemic of depression. And Dr. Bankson has a book coming out in 2016, and it's called Hope Prevails, Insights from a doctor's personal journey through depression. So, Dr. Bankson, how are you today? I'm awesome. How are you two this morning? We are doing great, and we've been having this whole neuropsychologist conversation. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? Patty's been trying to psychoanalyze me before the show. So that's where, yeah. So I'm I'm so glad you're joining us now. You interrupted our conversation. (laughs) Of course, our sound engineer is a little frightened that you might commit both of us by the end of the show. So we're we're hoping and praying that that won't happen. You know, you two are both on a quest, though, to make life better. So that's always a good sign. We'll just start there. How's that? And that was a very good answer. We'll take that one. Okay, so tell us exactly what do you do? Well, as a clinical neuropsychologist, I'm the professional that you would come to if you have questions about what exactly is going on and what's the cause for difficulties. So I see patients, whether it's for an attention deficit disorder or learning disabilities in children or after someone has had a stroke, or if there's a question of are we dealing with dementia or depression in a parent. And we get our training in clinical psychology. So we're trained in all of the normal psychology practices that most people think of when they think of a psychologist, but a neuropsychologist goes on for additional training to really understand, so what's the brain doing that's causing this, and then what can we do to make it better? 
And so for me, it always comes back to the hope factor, the hope factor being what can we do, you know, instead of just sitting in our misery, where do we go from here? Mm. And that's what I get to do every day. Why did you choose that field? Usually whenever you're talking to, uh, you know, a psychologist, there's something that took place in their childhood or something that has happened that it's such a deep motivation that, that put them in that field. So was there... Is there a story there of why you chose this particular field? Well, there's a couple different reasons. You know, I was I was that typical encourager friend that people would come to whenever they needed a listening ear. Not always that I gave the, the best advice or the right advice, because frequently people are not looking for advice. They're just looking for someone to come alongside them and recognize that they're hurting. But my father also sustained um, an injury in adulthood that... Um, took away part of his hearing. And that just kind of fascinated me. How does the brain adapt? And when I took my first neuroanatomy course, I just thought, oh, my goodness, like, I don't know how you don't believe in a God mm-hmm. when I'm looking at cellular structure. Like, this cannot possibly just happen. So it was really, for me, a decision of do I go into psychology, at, which at that time I thought was just talk therapy, or do I become a neurologist or a, a neurosurgeon? And this was kind of the best of all worlds because for me, I like that one-on-one factor. I love sitting with someone one-on-one and hearing their heart. And so I get to do that, but I also get to help them find answers and solutions. Instead of just listening like a friend who will agree with you on everything that you want them to agree with you on, Mm-hmm. I'll listen, but I'll also kind of help provide some objective feedback about what's really going on so we can get to the root of the matter. Because so often we don't address the roots. And if we don't address the roots, it's really kind of like putting a Band-Aid on it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you um, I, I, obviously in, in your book, you're going to answer um, when this is your book is released in 2016. Uh, but for those of us who are waiting to get your book <laughs> with it just seems as if and we're going to focus on women here. I'm sure it's across the line, but that women are really in a place of being overwhelmed, that there just seems that a depression is an epidemic and everybody is taking some kind of medication to, to help them either being so anxious or, like I said, being overwhelmed. Um, when you're talking about finding the root of the problem, why do you think that this has been an epidemic? Well, there's several reasons for that. And I even say in my book that for any one person coming to me and looking to see what's going on, frequently we don't know what the number one cause is. Because usually by the time someone ends up in my office or recognizes that there's a problem, it's because there's been numerous symptoms that have kind of added on top of each other until it's gotten to the point where we can't cope anymore. And and so sometimes it can be hard to tell where did this exactly come from? And there are usually many factors. But the interesting thing is that by 20, depression is going to be our greatest epidemic. Mm-hmm. So whether you're in an affluent country or you're in one of the poorest countries of the world, it's going to be there. And we're seeing it in greater and greater numbers and severity. You know, I started in um, psychology over 20 years ago. And when I first started in the field, I never saw children with depression unless they endured some traumatic um, incident or they were diagnosed with cancer. I just didn't see kids with 
now they're in my office every day. Mm. And now we recognize it's even a growing epidemic among our elderly. No, they stop working or they retire or they have some kind of health condition. And the next thing you know, not only are they dealing with that, but they're dealing with depression on top of it. Part of it, I think, is going back to exactly what you were just saying. We're overwhelmed. We live in a society where things are fast, where gratification is quick, but the demands as a result are also heightened. You know, my mother didn't work outside the home. And I, I'm pretty sure she thought it was stressful raising children and, and keeping a home. And I'm sure it is because I find it stressful trying to keep up my own home and raise my own children. But we live in a day and age where we expect women to do more and to be all. I've had numerous conversations just this week about the overwhelm factor. What do we do about that? And, you know, there's a misnomer because we think with all of this increased technology, which is a great thing, but we think with that that we can multitask and do even more. But if you want to know the truth, the brain can only focus on one thing at a time. So we really do not multitask. We shift our attention back and forth and back and forth. And actually, that wastes so much time because it takes your brain a while to get refocused on whatever it is that you're focusing on. And so that adds a lot of pressure. We, we're more fluent now. We have more money. But that isn't really what brings happiness. It just brings more stuff to have to control. I, I heard you at the beginning of the show talking about decluttering. And that's the downside of living in a, in a day and age in an environment where we are blessed with more material goods. But it also means more that we have to take care of. And we don't have any more time in our day. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Okay, here's a question that kind of goes along with what you're saying a little bit that I've always wondered about. Do you think that um, people are more depressed now? Because you hear about it more. We all, you know, we're all more aware of it. It's in a conversation than, say, a decade or so ago. But even going back before that, because I, I you know, when I read stories and I read um, accounts in history and, you know, even going back to Bible times, um, you know, things that children saw, the violence, you know, the just the, their their society, you know, wars taken away, um, family members, parents really, you know, was kind of common. How do you think depression was an issue? We just didn't really I, we don't hear about it because you're reading the stories. Do you think this is more a modern day thing that, like you said, it's not, you know, money doesn't take away, it almost adds to it, being affluent, but what, what do you think in there? Are we, are we more aware of it or has it always been? I think it's both. Depression's always been there. You're exactly right. We can read about it in, in biblical accounts. Should if you read Psalms, every other verse, David's talking about, where is me and why am I so downcast? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was there. But I, I think that our focus over time has changed, and I think that um, we have more to deal with. And I know that the incidence is growing because, like I said, I, I never saw it in children before, and I rarely saw it in the elderly. So it is increasing over time, but it has been there. But I also think another contributor to that is that I think we're also better equipped today to evaluate and assess and diagnose a myriad of health conditions that we weren't able to diagnose as readily two, three, four generations ago. If you just think about Alzheimer's, you know, my great-great-grandparents 
their generation dealt with Alzheimer's. It's not new in this generation. But back then they called it something else, and they just attributed it to grandma was losing her memory. Well, today we're better able to diagnose it before it even becomes a significant deterrent to their daily living. So I well, think Dr. Michelle, we're going to have to take a quick break here just a minute because this is such a great conversation. Let's go into the break and we come back. Let's just keep unpacking uh, all of this and this, this epidemic that we're talking about. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Hot yoga is popular and many people love it. But the resounding question is, does it burn more calories than regular yoga? Most people perspire heavily during class because the room temperature is so hot. They feel like they're working really hard, working up a sweat and burning loads of calories. Fitness Magazine states that hot yoga is not necessarily melting more fat. Your heart rate increases during hot yoga because blood vessels dilate to increase blood flow to the skin to help your body cool down, not because you're burning more calories. The article states that you can burn the same amount of calories sitting in a chair for 15 minutes as you do sitting in a sauna. Remember, it's not the temperature of the room that produces a bigger burn. It's the intensity and muscle challenges of yoga poses. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Back to our show. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Michelle Bankson. And Dr. Bankson's first solo project in 2016, entitled Hope Prevails Insights from a Doctor's Personal Journey Through Depression. And we were just talking about um, so many women being overwhelmed and trying to figure out what is the, the root of that problem. And Dr. Bankson, you were you were saying, you know. Probably that's the million-dollar question is finding the root to why there's so much anxiety and stress and people be becoming so overwhelmed um, and, and just needing to simplify our life. 
But uh, in, in your new book, talking about your own personal journey through dep- depression, can you share a little bit about that and your insights of what took place and how you even realized, you know, where is the hope in all of this? Yeah, I'd be happy to share about that. You know, the hard part about being the doctor going through depression is that there's so much shame and guilt involved because you think as the doctor you're supposed to have all the answers. And I went through a period of depression and tried all the things that I recommended to my patients, and it didn't get better. So then I'm left with the quandary of have I really helped my patients, and and why am I not getting better? And part of it, it really was a spiritual journey for me to realize that, you know, medication can be very helpful, and therapy can be very helpful, and so can diet and exercise and getting out and helping other people. But if we don't address the spiritual component underlying things like overwhelm and anxiety and depression, it usually comes back because all we've really done is put a Band-Aid on it. But it Mm. took me many years to come to that conclusion. And that's part of the reason I decided to write the book. When I first agreed to write the book, I was writing it purely as a doctor, giving my doctor's advice from 20 years of experience in the field. But then along the way, it became very apparent there's other, there's other books written out there on depression from doctors, but most of them haven't gone through it. And there's mm-hmm. lots of books written out there by people who have gone through depression, but they don't have the professional experience. But I could not find a single book that was written by a doctor who'd also gone through it so you understand it. You know, it's a little bit like if you've never had a miscarriage, you don't know what it's like to go through a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Or if you've never gone through divorce, you, you don't know what it's like. So you try to help, but it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. And so this book, I'm really hoping, will address it from both viewpoints, both as someone who's gone through it, so I really do understand, but also as a professional who's been trained in what do we do to try to get through it. But, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a Christian, and so for me, everything comes back to my faith. And my life verse is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans for a future and a hope. And so whether I'm seeing patients and talking about depression or we're talking about um, a mother who's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it always comes back to me, but where is our hope in this situation? Because if, if we don't have hope, what reason is there to get up? the next day. What reason is there not to go down the path of suicide? But I am a firm believer that if we will put our trust in God, there is always hope. We may not always see what the answer is today for tomorrow, but there's always hope. And that's what I'm trying to communicate through my book. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's depressing for people when you're sharing that. To go, yeah, I I get that. I know it's in Scripture. I know that God is the ultimate answer. He is the I am, and through I am, I can can get through this. He's moving forward with me, but yet I wake up in the morning, and it's just completely overwhelming like I'm I'm walking through through mud. And I I have a question for you because recently I was talking with a friend who— they, they're dealing with a, a lot of depression, and some of it has been because of a d- divorce, etc. But there was this um, insight that took place that she realized 
I'm not dealing with depression. What I found out through her therapy and through counseling is that I'm dealing with dread. And it's just what you said. If you're not going through that or you've never experienced it, I it was so nebulous to me. Like I, I couldn't figure out, okay, so because you labeled it differently, you have found more hope in the morning when you wake up because she was able to focus on what am I dreading? What today do I find that's, you know, changing my character, that's um, making me eliminate what I love to do? And that was just so interesting to me because it's like, okay, but you're still depressed. (laughs) So can you help identify a little bit more of what that means when you can label and be more specific in what is causing the depression? can because that's that's crucial that's why accurate diagnosis is so important that's why you shouldn't just take a checklist off the internet and diagnose yourself with anything whether it's ADD or it's depression or it's anxiety or Alzheimer's and it sounds like for this friend that you're talking about once she was able to realize she was dealing with dread then she could dig deeper to answer the question of why What is making me dread that? And dread is really rooted in anxiety and fear, not depression. So there's a difference. So once you identify, oh, so what what am I really thinking? And so much of my book comes back to what thoughts are we thinking? Because you're exactly right. You said earlier, sometimes it doesn't help, though, to know that God is still the great I am and he's still up there. But I'm down here suffering. You're so right. When I was in the midst of my great depression, if one more person threw a Bible verse at me, I swore I was just going to, you know, pitch the book out the window because it didn't meet me where I was. And I don't think they understood where I was or it wouldn't have felt so patronizing. But you see, so much of our depression, our anxiety, our feeling of overwhelm comes back to our thought life, comes back to what thoughts are we believing? Because if we believe I'm overwhelmed. I don't have enough time to get this done. I'll never make that deadline. That has so much power. Whereas if we truly believe I am more than an overcomer, I have enough grace sufficient for the day, it changes our emotions because our emotions are really just an outward manifestation of the thoughts we believe. Mm. So if we're believing I'm going to fail on this algebra test, Well, that will bring about dread. If we're believing I'm just hopeless and nothing about my situation is going to change, well, that will bring about depression. So that's why it's so crucial to get to the fundamental root because then we can address the root. Mm. But if if we don't know that, it's like we're just, um, you know, reaching and, and hoping something is going to click. Yeah. It's like getting properly diagnosed. So you can't fix something if you don't know what's causing it, what the problem yeah. is. Yeah, like in right. medical, it's like, tell me that I have this because at least I know how to fix, you know, what we need to do to fix that. Otherwise, I don't know. Okay, I have a question, too. I, I think a lot of times, you know, a lot of us have been in different stages of, of depression or dealing with things, you know, whether it's a transition in life that causes something or a loss or a disappointment of a dream or something. Um I think for a lot of us, we put a time frame on, I must be past this and not feel this anxious after a certain amount of time. We almost put a time frame on, I have this much time to be depressed 
and then I better be okay with it. How, how would you address that to women? Well, first of all, I, I think it's unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Just like it's unrealistic to know how long is it going to teach my child their math facts. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. Mm-hmm. But we want that sense of control, and that's where that time frame comes from. We want control because when we're in control, then we, can, we have this belief that we're going to manage a situation better. I have several folks that I know who are walking through grief, and it, it upsets me that there is this common misnomer out there that after a year, you should pretty much be over your grief. Mm-hmm. Well, really? Who says? Because after a year, you've made it through all the expected first, but you don't know about all the other unexpected that are going to happen mm-hmm. or other episodes that are going to occur along the way. So we put these artificial time frames on to try to help us have a sense of control. Whereas if we would just allow ourselves to be present today, then we wouldn't borrow on tomorrow worry. You know, the Bible says tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Just focus on today. Mm -hmm. And if we will do that, then we don't borrow on all the problems for tomorrow. So if we'll stop worrying about the time frame and just think about how am I coping today, tomorrow is so much easier. And that's great advice because I think we all want to put a time frame. Like I must be, because a lot of times people have those expectations. We let people's expectations dictate our feelings then. And sometimes that can cause you to be more depressed because people are like, well, you should be over this by now, or you should be through this. And that causes even more. Okay. We just have two minutes. How can our listeners um, find out more information about you and, and about your book? The easiest way for them to find out more information about both of them is to go to my website, which is drmichelleb.com. Dr. Michelle, two L's, letter B.com. And there will be information there. I do a weekly blog post on Mondays. And then your listeners might also be interested to know that on Thursdays, I do an Ask Dr. B column. So they can submit questions, and anonymously, I'll answer them on the blog. But from there, they can connect to all my social media, social, uh, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and Pinterest and find me on whatever their social media is of choice. Awesome. So well, it's so great to know that there there is hope out there and there's somebody who understands. And I think sometimes just hearing those words, me too, can change everything. And you have that, you can say that to them, which gives it so much significance. Okay, we just have one minute. What is something you want to leave our listeners? And we want to thank you again for taking the time and just sharing such relevant information and giving us glimpses of hope um, for listeners that are going through that, that cycle and that time. So what in 30 seconds do you want to leave us with? I really want your listeners to hear that hope prevails. It doesn't matter what they're going through. Hope does prevail. But sometimes we need people to walk alongside us to remind us of that. And it's okay to have to borrow on someone else's hope on those days when our own hope is really waning. That's okay. So get in with your physician, find a psychologist, a trusted counselor, get an accurate diagnosis because once you have the accurate diagnosis, we can work towards successful resolution. But there's Thank always Thank you so hope. much, Dr. Vinson, for joining our show. We'll be right back.
This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokinet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, joining us now is our special guest, Suzanne Woods Fisher, who is a best-selling author of Amish, Amish fiction and nonfiction. Her interest in the Amish began with her grandfather, who was raised plain. And, and for those of us who are not quite familiar with the Amish culture, plain is uh, very similar to the Amish. It's just another people group uh, out of Franklin County, Pennsylvania. And she travels back east a couple of times each year for research, which I'm sure she has a blast doing that. Um, as well. It can't be all work and no play. But Suzanne has a great admiration for the plain people and believes they provide wonderful examples to the world. She has an underlying belief in her books. You don't have to go Amish to incorporate many of their principles into your life. Simplicity, living with less, appreciating nature and forgiving others more readily and trusting in God. When Suzanne isn't writing, she is playing tennis or bragging to her friends about her grandbabies. And she also raises puppies for guide dogs for the blind. Uh, To her way of thinking, you just can't take life too seriously when a puppy is tearing through your house with someone else's underwear in its mouth. So welcome, Suzanne. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thanks so much. That was a nice introduction. 
<laughs> well, I, you know what? Yeah, I love your humor, and I just I love that you're craving for the simplicity of life, and especially you have that in your your heritage with your your grandfather, and. Um, uh, as we all know, it seems like the Amish were kind of coming out of the woodwork, and it's interesting because the whole concept of the plain um, people or going Amish um, is exactly that. They want the principles of simplifying their life and to not be exposed and have them stand out, and yet now there are more movies and more books written about them, I think, than, than ever before. So it's so, so intriguing. Um, where did you get the idea to write about the heart of the Amish? Well, that's a great, you made a great comment right there where you said about the fact that the Amish are exposed. And I love that word because sometimes we think of them as almost living so separate, almost in monasteries, very isolated. And the truth of it is, that they are actually rubbing shoulders with the modern world all the time. They buggies and trucks and cars share the same roads. They live amongst you know farms, generally in farms, but a lot of the businesses blend in and, and are around the modern lifestyle. So I think the lesson of them, as you watch and observe the Amish, and I mean kind of going past the bonnets and the buggies and the beards, because we sort of get distracted with that, but to look at what really makes them tick. There's so much value that they have to offer us in how to hold firm and stand true to the things we feel are really important in life. I mean, they've been able to do it for 400 years, and, and they're, you know, still a very identifiable group of people. In fact, not many people know this, but the Old Order Amish, and that's we're talking horse and buggy, no electricity to their homes, the Old Order Amish are the fastest-growing population in North America. Hmm. Isn't that amazing? Really? They're that not the biggest. Really amazing. They're the fastest growing. In the year 1900, there were about 5,000. And sociologists assumed that they'd assimilate into the culture just like any other, so many other groups that were ethnic groups coming over from Europe. And um, they would essentially just dissolve into the culture. But by the year 2000, I think my latest statistics are 2014 there were almost 300,000 Old Order Amish. By the year 2050, they predict, they're predicting to be over a million. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. That is amazing because I, w- I was thinking the opposite because, I, you know, for, that they're not, like, growing so much. And it's interesting because even just this summer, my husband and I were driving, we were driving through parts of Pennsylvania, and I'm always so intrigued to see the the, the buggy going down the road, you know, and the mm-hmm. horse. And um, you can see signs of it before you see the buggy, so you know that you're in, in, this, in the area, there's a horse somewhere. Um, and, and it's just always so intriguing to see the people. And I know a few years ago, Patty and I were um, in Indiana, uh, Shipshawana, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Patty has a friend there who um, lives there with, at the Amish. And I, that was my first experience of being exposed to their culture. And I was so fascinated and intrigued with them. And um, I, the day that we happened to be there was laundry day. Everybody had their laundry <laughs> out on the lines. And um, there was something very um, it, appealing about the simplicity to it. Um, you know, you're, you're like, okay, this is... They're not cluttered with all the, the trappings kind of of, of the modern day, um, and they, 
you know, the simplistic lifestyle. And I just remember the funniest thing, though, we saw, and I was trying to make sense of this, and Patty just, and her friend said, okay, quit trying to make sense. It doesn't make sense. But there was a horse and buggy actually pulling a, a boat on a trailer, and the boat had a motor. And I thought that was the <laughs> funniest thing I'd ever seen. So um, it, they are very intriguing, but they're very they're very simple, and they're values. Can you just kind of talk about that? And why do you think that they're growing so quickly? Well, in fact, so let's go back to the rowboat for a second because, <laughs> you know, the reason you looked at that, and, and one thing about a laundry line, and there's sort of a beauty in the laundry lines. I mean, just mm-hmm. these bright colors, they're flapping in the wind. But there's not one day for laundry for the Amish. They have huge families, and this is how they're growing so, so big because they have average family size is six to eight children. They highly value children, really mm-hmm. treasure them. And they're growing from the inside out. So over 85%, 85 to 90% retention rate of young people becoming baptized as adults staying in the church. That's how it's growing Mm. and growing and growing. But let's talk about the rowboat for a second, because you look at that, and of course it seems like a total oxymoron. I mean, how can a horse and buggy be pulling a motorboat? But the Amish aren't really, there's more to them in that they aren't just an old-fashioned people. So a motor like that would be perfectly acceptable. The reason they don't have the electricity coming to their home is because they don't want to be dependent on the utilities. They want to be self-sufficient, and it goes back to their heritage. They have a martyred past. They do not trust the government. They don't trust, you know, these utility companies. They want to be self-sufficient. So their homes are surprisingly adaptive in bringing a lot of technology that you'd be surprised at. For example, solar cells, solar panels on their roofs, battery packs, diesel generators, um, propane tanks. I mean, they just use a lot of different ways to get the job done, but they're not dependent on one source the way we are. And sometimes I think that's the way we're all going to be living in 10 or 15 Mm -hmm. years, where you have multiple means of getting, bringing energy to your home. So, but you asked about the values of the Amish and, you know, there's, I mean, you could look at, at just a simple living, which is, it is beautiful. There's a lot about it that is uncluttered and feels like fresh air, you know, in your home. Mm-hmm. When you think of just how they don't, they're not high consumers, they live with less, they, uh, most of them have backyard gardens that are bigger than our backyards, at least in California they sure are. They, um, you know, they have a, a, they very close to the land, great appreciation for nature. Those are all beautiful values. But I think you can go even further and look at their belief in the sovereignty of God and how that affects their life. That's why they dress the way they do, because it identifies them as a member of the Amish church, as belonging to God. Their choices about things like forgiveness, and that brings us to this book, The Heart of the Amish, they are, that's the most compelling example to me of who the Amish really are, and that's the best of the Amish. I know we glamorize the Amish. I'm an Amish fiction author. I mean, I, I admit it. We all are there trying to draw people to, uh, you know, the Amish and what it means and all that, but there is something so much more to um, what we can bring into our own life, and, and it is this intentional forgiveness. They believe, they take very literally 
that um, forgiveness has eternal significance. So if we make a choice not to forgive, they believe strongly that, that that's something God will take into account as he's, you know, as he's forgiving us. So it, it is such a, an important part of their outlook. And here's where I love taking this into, this is why I wanted to write this book, The Heart of the Amish, because every single day we have opportunities to forgive. I mean, a lot of our life is just a daily friction. You know, a neighbor that leaves their garbage cans out or a cranky clerk at the post office or someone who cut you off on the freeway, just those daily little things. If we don't kind of practice letting go and sort of forgiving in those little things, when we get to the big things in life, we are going to be really having a hard time. We're going to have a weak muscle in that whole thing. And we all are going to have big issues in our life that are going to require forgiveness. So that's, that's a long story, but that's, that is my real uh, mantra. I just feel like if we're going to look at the Amish, we have to look at this part of them to understand them fully. And it all goes back to the sovereignty of God. Well, and you're absolutely right. I mean, that, and it's, it is a beautiful thing and it's, we can learn so much from that. And, um, we have, we have just, um, less than two minutes. We're going to take a break, but I want to talk into, because even, you know, as of recent years, when that they had that horrific, you know, killing in the schools with the Amish, that was such a beautiful response that the Amish community had toward, um, you know, the man and, and the family and, there's so much we can learn from that because I think we are quick and we let those little irritants um, every day kind of build up. But we have, op, you know, chances and opportunities to practice that forgiveness every day like that. And we can learn so much. Um, okay, before we go, I don't want to get too long because it's I, there's so much to do because we're going to have to take a break. And I don't I hate to be rude and cut you off when we get in the oh, middle of something. But um, um, so what this value of forgiveness, um, how when you're talking with them, like you, to do your research for this book, were they open to talking to you about their experiences and talking about these values? Well, you know, I've really developed my mother's pen Dutch. I met, my grandfather was German Baptist, which is on the Amish and Mennonites and all. It's sort of like the Anabaptist tree. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of relatives. I have a lot of contacts. And I used to live back east. And now, I, as you mentioned earlier, I travel back east a lot. So I definitely had a lot of people to mine for stories and and many stories I've collected over the years and kind of kept track of. But I have to admit, it is not easy getting information out of the Amish. And I I believe in full disclosure, I went back to have them review the story, make corrections, make a decision as to how anonymous they wanted to be. And most of the stories in this book, the names have been changed, not all, but most of them, names and details have been changed as well as um, Sadly, there were some stories that when I came right down to it, someone chose not to have it printed, and I totally respect that. Okay, Suzanne, I'm going to have to be rude. This is my rude. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it. Connect it, propel it, girlfriend it, and we'll be right back with more girlfriended radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. 
That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. At any given time, millions of Americans are on a diet and on a quest to lose weight. Discovery Health says that the only way to lose fat is to consume fewer calories per day than your body needs. For every 3,500 calories that your body takes from its fat reserves, you lose one pound. You can create that deficit by monitoring and restricting your intake of calories alone. But I believe that the best approach is to exercise and cut back on your calories. By upping your daily exercise and scaling back on your consumption of calories, you are giving yourself a healthy balance that will pay off great dividends. So be sure to add daily exercise to your quest to lose weight. Health, well-being, and a slim body awaits you. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are back with our special guest, Suzanne Woods Fisher, who is a best-selling author of Amish fiction and nonfiction. Her latest book, The Heart of the Amish, has just been released, and we will let her share more on that. But first of all, Suzanne, let's go back to our conversation prior to the break regarding forgiveness and being able to communicate with the Amish. So, We'll, we'll, we won't be as rude this time. We'll let you finish your sentence. No, I understand completely. I know, I know the radio drill. Um, no, but I think as, you know, in gathering the stories, I think it actually really worked out well. There were some stories that didn't make it in, but as I mentioned, I really respect people's privacy. Mm. So the ones that are in this, the book, though, full permission, and I have it all, and, you know, we have it. It's all at the publishers where we have everyone signed off on it and, um, ready to go, but they're very personal stories. The first half of the book is about the daily friction of life and how the Amish manage and deal with the um, the little things in life. I mean, there's one of my favorite stories is where I went into a, a store in Iowa, and these Amish stores are very little stores. There's no signage. They're really just meant for the community, though anyone can go into them, and they just have kind of like a general store. They just have all the things that you're going to need at, on your farm or work place and all, and, you know, boots, fish, fishing boots and things like that, just all kinds of stuff. And at the very back were these um, lantern, the hurricane light, glass part of a, a lantern. Can you, you know what I'm thinking of? Yes. That, mm-hmm. um, a whole wall of them in different sizes. And there was this sign up top that said, if you break one, let us know so we can forgive you. And it was wow. so startling because any store I have been in, you're going to see the opposite kind of a sign. You break it, you buy it. You know, yeah, I mm-hmm. mean, it is, it is a punishing thing. And here they just really wanted you to know, we understand life happens. We understand things don't always work, but let us know so we can forgive you. I feel like that's such a great picture of how the Amish are. It's not that they're an ignoring, neglecting, denying, but they have this sense of let's get back on track. 
let's forgive and move on and not hold on to it, not hold on to that grudge. Hmm. That is a great story because that you're right. That's so um, opposite of the messages we send out to people. Um, you have, I think, a favorite Amish proverb that deals with forgiveness that you like. And I oh, would love to hear that. I have a lot of them. So just to give you a little background on these proverbs, the Amish speak Penn Dutch, and that is a dialect of German. It's a little bit like looking at a circus mirror. It's a little wavy, like the word, uh, a common German last name is Smucker, but in Penn Dutch it's Smucker. So everything's mm. not quite German, but, you know, its roots are there, and the dialect comes from the Palatinate part of Germany, the Rhine Valley, and it doesn't belong uniquely to the Amish, but it's that sweep of immigration that came into the United States in the 1800s. So many, many people are Penn Dutch by heritage, you know, Moravians, Lutherans, Mennonites, and the Amish. The Penn Dutch language is an oral language, and that is unique to the Amish in that they use it as their first language. Other groups did as well, but it sort of morphed and changed over the years. So the Amish continue to use it as their first language. So um, English is taught in school, and then High German, actual German, they would learn in church. But Penn Dutch is their language. When it's an oral language, you will find many, many proverbs embedded in a language tradition. That's just how they've even been able to, to illiterate societies over the centuries of years. That's how values are passed down. That's how lessons are taught. So proverbs are a very important part of the Penn Dutch language, and they're really a beautiful part of the Amish. I, I love collecting their proverbs. I was raised on them. My mom used to quote them all the time, and I always thought of them as kind of corny, but now I, I really see the magic in them. So here's an example. Um, you know, let's see. Um, it isn't the mountains ahead that wear you out. It's the grain of sand in your shoes. And that's, that's exactly what it is about the friction. If we don't deal mm-hmm. with the friction, we're going to end up really having problems later on, just simmering anger, that kind of thing. Um, another one, I can't get even and get well. The person who forgives does more for himself than anyone else. Mm. Be slow to anger and quick to forgive, and you will as friends as long as you live. No, there's just all kinds of, of um, sing-songy little things that just help Help kind of remember, you know, a forgiving heart grows stronger with exercise. Um, it's better to fill a little place right than a big place wrong. Mm. The Amish tend to be willing to take a blow rather than, and, and maybe even get taken advantage of, than to ever be in the position of being a, an accuser or a person seeking retribution. So that's a lesson for us, too. Like, being a little willing to absorb a few more blows, getting a little more of a tough skin and not reacting to everything or not thinking every single thing has to be fair or right. So I'm kind of chattering on. Please interrupt if I'm no, talking No, we just love that. And those quotes are, are beautiful. And I'm even going to go back a little bit because you're, you're, you're evoking so many emotions just even sharing um, these quotes. And I, I go back to, it's just interesting. You, you said your mom used to share these quotes and, um, just you used to think they were corny. And I can remember a time when I was in my early twenties and I went, uh, to Pennsylvania and Indiana with my parents 
And going into that shop, when you were talking about, you know, seeing these hurricane lanterns and we went into a shop with quilts and my mom started talking to a couple of the gals that were working there that had actually created these quilts and thinking the exact same thing when you're talking about the, the corniness of your mom. She was so intrigued and she stood there in my mind way too long talking to <laughs> these gals that were sharing and pouring out their heart about what these, the quilts, the story behind it and what it meant and what was going on in their day when they were making them. And it was, it was truly the quilt was a complete, it, they were storytelling. And um, my mom bought this, this quilt that at the time, I want to say it was a couple hundred dollars. I remember thinking, you know, I can go to JCPenney's and get that quilt for 12 bucks. <laughs> and, and then now that quilt, now that my mom's gone, I value that quilt. I love that quilt. And um, just truly the, the fingerprints that the Amish have brought into our, our culture um, through their storytelling, through the quotes, and through the you know, just literally the basic biblical principles that they are, you know, bringing out that we should all be living by. I agree with you. I mean, I, I, again, I really don't mean to make them a perfect people, and there are problems, but I think as a whole, they have a, a they do community well, they, they do family well, they've got a lot of things going for them, and I'm not ever saying we should all go Amish. A lot of people want to until they realize what it feels like to be in a cold buggy on a winter day, you know. Yeah. But, you know, the reality of it is nothing like what we think. But um, but there, there is a real beauty in it, and I think a sincerity, and certainly at the best of them. And I've been really fortunate to meet many, many people who are authentically loving, caring, not judgmental. They, they live their story. They are um, just a wonderful example. So I kind of like honoring them in my books, though I know there's a lot of criticism that it, they're getting romanticized to the point of neglecting some of the serious issues and all. I mean, one thing kind of fascinating about them is they do have lower cancer rates, lower depression rates, lower um, suicide, low, lower alcoholism, very essentially a zero divorce rate. And I'm not saying they all have happy marriages, but Marriage is a high value. And there, there's a lot they're doing right. And I think probably a lot of it goes down to that sense of community, that they have just this wonderful net that takes care of each other. I think that's something our churches can look more mm-hmm. seriously at because mm-hmm. that's exactly what we should be doing in our churches. And a lot of them do. A lot of them do the a accountability. great job of that. Mm-hmm. When you that have that care, you do have the accountability, Yeah. Accountability, but also just like, you know, when you're sick, when you're down, when you're out of work. I mean, that we, there's a net, there's people looking out for you. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. You do, you rally and pull together and, mm-hmm. and just really do take care of each other. And you can just sense that when you, you know, you drive through an Amish community. And I'm always amazed, like, um, I think it was like on a Sunday and, like, you know, some of the farms, all these buggies that were at one place where they all, and you could see them out having like a huge picnic. And, you know, it was just fun to see that community coming together and they all show up and you can only, you know, 
imagine just the, the fun that they were having together in the party. And uh, we've lost a lot of that in just in our society and culture. So we can, we can learn so much from the other, whatever the other is, you know, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and, you know, take the values <laughs> that, you know, hold on, like, especially forgiveness just really stands out how they really, um, have practiced that and they teach their children. So in just like, we just have a couple minutes, um, before we have to end our show, which we want to, again, thank you so much for coming and sharing your heart and sharing just, you know, a little bit about the Amish, which it's, it's, um, it's been a beautiful conversation. Okay. So how can our listeners find out more about you and tell us a little bit more about the book and what do you hope readers walk away with from reading your book? Well, you can find me online at SuzanneWoodsFisher.com, no C and Fisher, just like it sounds, SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. And I'm on Facebook, I'm on um, Twitter, you know, on Pinterest, on Instagram, and, and I love connecting with people. It really is the joy to me of this whole author gig. So please do. Please follow me up if you want to. And the book Heart of the Amish should be available at certainly through anything online. It could should be at Barnes & Noble. It's Ask for it at your bookstore if you, if they don't have it, they should be able to get it. And I guess the the essence of what I, the takeaway value of what I want from people to get from this book, I think is, is kind of like I mentioned that forgiveness is a muscle, and if we don't start using it and take it seriously, it, we, well, I, I shouldn't shouldn't make that sound a negative. There's a lot of goodness ahead if we really build that muscle strong. I think forgiveness really begins, though, by inviting God into the conversation. I don't think it's just a matter of you know, mind over matter or will or determination. I think it is really God's work. But once you invite him in, things start happening, and it's good, good stuff. Mm. And that's such a great reminder and a challenge to invite God into the conversation and to really, um, I like what you said earlier, practice the little disciplines of forgiveness every day, whether somebody's Mm -hmm. cutting you off or, excuse me, you know, somebody's cranky or whatever that, you know, be aware and, and be aware that you have an opportunity to practice forgiveness and give a gift to somebody. So again, Suzanne, thank you for joining our show and taking the time. And, um, we can't wait to, to dive into your book, The Heart of the Amish. You've, um, you, you've really intrigued us. So thank you again thank for joining you. us. My we pleasure. just want to encourage everyone to go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriended, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 